Welcome to A Sex Worker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the answer to life, the universe, and everything is sex workers. I'm your host, Parker Westwood, and today I'm really excited to bring you an interview with Amy Bond. She runs Pole and Dance Studios, that's the name of the the company, Pole and Dance Studios, with locations in San Francisco, Oakland, and Berkeley. She's also an author and competitive pole dancer and is a pro bono attorney. She's got a lot going on. Uh, We talk about her recent feature in the Netflix original documentary, Strip Down, Rise Up. And if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it. It came out in March, I believe. And it talks about the power that is found in in pole dance. And there's so, it's so nuanced and trauma-informed and um, not what I expected. So go ahead, give it a watch. I'd love to hear what you think about it. And then dive into this interview or do this interview first. I really don't care. (laughs) Whatever you want to do, it is your life. So in this interview, we talk with Amy about her feature in Strip Down, Rise Up, as well as her former career in porn uh, and navigating life after porn. We also talk about the healing power of pole dancing, both in her own experience and those she teaches, and I share a little bit as well. We also talk about her and her husband's journey into the world of polyamory, and I'm really excited for you all to hear it. I'm also really excited to announce that this is the first episode that has a Patreon-only interview associated with it. So those of you who are Patreon members, or those of you who shortly will be, get access to this extra interview with Amy Bond. We talk about how to create a dating profile when you're looking for um, polyamorous relationships. We also get to talk about the joys of anal um, and and all the various things, um, anal training, Um, I get to talk about pegging. I love talking about pegging, so it's great. Join us over at Patreon for this extra interview. This is all I'm saying. It's one of the many ways you can support this show. Other ways you can support this show include continuing to listen. Thank you. I love it that you all are listening. Um, share it with your friends. Word of mouth is still one of the most powerful things, and, and the people that trust you when you recommend this podcast, are gonna probably going to listen. So share away. Use your voice for good. Tell people to listen to this podcast. You can also rate the show five stars or leave a great review. Both of those things are awesome. doesn't matter what platform you're on. I, I've seen the ones that people have been leaving, and I thank you so, so much. It's really wonderful to see the feedback and uh, see you all participating. It's really, it's really cool. This episode also requires a couple trigger warnings. We uh, mention rape and sexual assault, and we talk about briefly about an eating disorder. This episode is really fun. I'm so excited to share it with you. And I we laugh a whole bunch, and I feel way less self-conscious about having a bunch of laughter in these episodes after the Clover episode. So I don't know what I was going through at that point, but I'm glad I'm over it. Yeah. So I'm just going to, we're going to jump in. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this interview. And here we go. So hello there, Amy Bond. I'm so happy to have you with me today. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, Why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners, your, your name, your pronouns, where you're located, and what kind of sex work you do or have done. Yeah, so my name is Amy Bond. I, um live in San Francisco. Currently, I'm an attorney, part-time, uh, full-time. I run three pole dance studios, San Francisco Pole and Dance, Oakland Pole and Dance, and Berkeley Pole and Dance. And um, when I was 20, I was um, both in porn and also a call girl for uh, you know a year in Los Angeles, kind of pre-Facebook, pre-social media age, and I remember texting was like a big deal back then. Yes. So um, the kind of like old school style sex worker. <laughs> <laughs> and then what does your work look like today? Yeah, so uh, I do a lot of different things that kind of multi-hyphenate life. I think that's less a product of um, being successful and more a product of having ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> 
that is so relatable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I, after I uh, got out of the sex work industry, I went to um, Berkeley for undergrad, featured in political economics of industrialized societies, which is basically econ, mm -hmm. um, transferred to um, Boston University where I went to law school and uh, became a California Bar attorney in 2013. Um, so cool. For, yeah, so for five years after I became an attorney, I worked in tech and, mm -hmm. um, and then I moved into running my own pole dance studio, which sounds like, wait, what? <laughs> but I, <laughs> I actually started pole dancing when I was in law school. And I took my first class the same day that I started law school and just kind of fell in love with both pole dancing and the law and both just like awakened uh, these different sides of my personality um, that I kind of hadn't explored before. So yeah, um, yeah. That's not so, something you hear very often. I fell in love with both the pole and the law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm not sure which one is taking more on a social justice front right. yeah. in the world in terms of like, you know, introducing uh, progressive um, uh, values to the world. So I think both are doing great work. And that's just true of, you know, systemic structures and and art generally. And I think those Agreed. two sides, having those in balance has been, um, and just, I feel like my truest self when I have a balance between both of them. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so I was already teaching pole dancing at a local studio in San Francisco. Um, it was kind of just like, cut, you know, chugging along. And I had the opportunity to buy that space and kind of start my own brand. So I did that in 2016. Uh, then I opened San Francisco Polony Outs, and then um, from there opened a bunch of other studios. Uh, so that's what I do with the majority of my time. I'm a coach, I'm an instructor, I run my businesses, and I have an amazing team, like 60 uh, part-time employees across the three studios, and I'm wow. trying to expand more. Yeah, and, um, and then I'm also an attorney. I do that work part-time. So I try to max it out at 10 hours a week. So that's more some weeks, less some weeks. Mm -hmm. And I uh, split that legal work into pro bono work where I um, work with um, asylum seekers, mostly at the border because, that, because of the Remain in Mexico policy. A lot of asylum seekers are stuck on, on the border side of Mexico right now. And um, and then I also consult tech startups um, with the other half of that time. And it's, it's really not a lot of time of doing mostly the same thing for each one. So um, you know, <laughs> yeah. building a business that is, seems so novel when you do it, but then when you're doing it for a lot of people, you realize everyone has the same problems. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then um, I'm a competitive pole dancer. So I also spend a quite a good amount of time training and pole dancing and it's my greatest love. I love that. It's, you have such a full life and I'm, I'm excited to kind of get into it more. Um, yeah. But one of the things I wanted to touch on before we get too far <laughs> in is um, you were, you were involved in the Netflix original documentary, Strip Down, Rise mm -hmm. Up. How did, yeah. how did you get involved in that? And kind of tell us a little bit about the documentary. Yeah, totally. So the movie um, is about women's empowerment through pole dancing. And so there, the storylines kind of weave through a bunch of different, I call them characters, even though it's human beings who I know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my character, you know, my me, Amy, mm -hmm. um, is one of, I, I think, six main characters in the movie. And um, Michelle O'Hanan, who's the director, um, she wanted to, like her whole vision was to showcase how pole dancing can be so many different things to so many different people. And um, she follows mostly a studio called S Factor run by a woman named Sheila Kelly, who's phenomenal. She's mm -hmm. been, you know, she kind of brought pole dance to the mainstream back when Oprah was still on television. So she like she, she did a pole dance on Oprah. She said pole dance for Ted talks. Like she's, <laughs> you know, she's kind of like the, the old school, um, 
person who created curriculum around pole dancing as fitness and in studios. And her style is a little bit more geared towards healing and trauma healing. And so uh, a lot of the movie spends time following, I think, 16 women who are going through what she calls a six month journey where um, they pole dance and then they, they spend a lot of time talking about what brought them to pole dancing. And there's a lot of really beautiful stories about healing sexual trauma. And, mm-hmm. um, and then my storyline is more about um, a competition. So I was getting ready for the 2018 Golden Gate Polk competition at the time. And Michelle followed me around for about a week. Um, and then later, it's more time. Um, and uh, it was more about like the competition side and preparing um, routines and creating art out of movement. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of mainstream America just hasn't, hasn't seen before. Um, and then she also follows Janine Butterfly, who is a Cirque du Soleil professional level circus performer mm-hmm. um, working out of Vegas. And so those, I think, are the three main storylines. And, um, and it was an honor to be a part of that project. It, one of the storylines that I really, uh, that it delved into with me is um, my routine that I was performing on stage for my competition was a pole dance routine to Ruby Carr's TED talk about um, a sexual assault slash rape. Uh, you know, I feel like we don't use the word rape enough anymore. Um, and um, and so it was kind of my way of reclaiming my body or just mirroring how I felt pole dance helped me reclaim my body long before I threw that stage on a routine at a comp- as a professional competition level. Um, and so there is an element of that, um, of that healing aspect in my storyline as well. Yes. Yeah. So fantastic. I, before we move on to the healing element, cause I do want to dive into that. Cause that's something I'm yeah. incredibly passionate about. I want to let you know, like the, I, when I watched the documentary, I went in and I was, I will admit I was a little bit of an asshole. I was like, oh no, this is mm. going to be like, white women reclaiming pole and like yeah it'll like uphold the hierarchy yeah but with Sheila being so trauma informed and like Mm -hmm. willing to grow and then your storyline in particular like made my heart so happy because you were like I don't even see what's wrong with having a background in porn like I don't like and there was no specifically your dialogue made it so that like the hierarchy, this like internalized stigma was just broken down. Um, yeah. And I loved seeing that. So thank you for like exposing that to the world. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's, that's very, it was really important for me to see that. Cause otherwise it's like the division is so real within this, the, the industry. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. And I just want to speak to that for a second, which sure. is, you know, there is one line that I say in the movie, which is, um, which I got a lot of put a lot of, you know, very reasonable pushback for, which was, I said at one point, um, I wish when people thought of pole dancing, they didn't think of strippers. I wish mm. they thought of, um, strength and I know a ton of strippers. I train strippers all, almost every day. Yeah. And, um, and my friend Evelyn was like, you know, like, I wish when people thought of strippers, they thought of strength because we're really fucking strong. Fuck yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, you know, that was a real miss right there for me. And, you know, when somebody's following me around for a week and capturing everything you say, you're not going to be elo- the most eloquent at right. every moment. Um, but I do wish that I had used that as an opportunity to talk about how strippers created the movement practice that we now, that I specifically now get to profit off of. Right. You know, and, and let's be real. I have three pole dance studios. I have not actually taken a paycheck from my studios yet, but right. I hope to someday. And, <laughs> you know, and um, and that's mainly because I've just put all profit back into building the next studio and the next one. Yeah. But I think that there is a little bit, this movie came into this kind of cultural, I don't want to call it a war. I hate using war phrases. It's so patriarchal, but like, you know, it came into this chasm that existed between the pole dance community 
and the community of strippers who are just like, just acknowledge me as a human. I can't tell you how many strippers have reached out to me over email through my businesses to say, are strippers invited? Are we going to be welcome? Or are we going to be treated poorly? Yeah. And I think that just sucks. Like that sucks that there have been so many experiences with people who are strippers creating a movement practice that we get to profit off of. And I get to profit off it financially, maybe eventually, but every day, recreational pole dancers get to profit off of look at this cool thing that I do in my spare time. Aren't I a bad bitch? And, and a lot of people who are strippers and sex workers don't get to put their content online because they're afraid of being shadow banned and afraid of being um, kicked off the internet because we live in this world where five dudes who created Instagram get to just (laughs) decide, you know, what that they get to kick off whoever they want off of this platform. But it's like people's the foundation of people's income. And I think That just sucks. Yeah, like totally what? Sucks. What even is a female presenting nipple? You get close enough and you can't tell. You know what I mean? Like, right? I totally. I mean, chat. We can go in a whole tangent about shadow banning, <laughs> but I yeah. I agree. There's like people profit, whether socially or financially, off of this movement. Um, yeah, this dance, this like attitude, even. And yeah, again, the hierarchy. We like like mm-hmm. as humans we like to stratify ourselves so that we can feel better than and yeah um it makes I mean us... there's even that same hierarchy in sex work where totally. like you know oh you were a call girl you had sex with your clients like that's real bad I just I just get yeah. looked at so when like I was, I, uh, I've got power you yeah know? and when I was a stripper that was like oh you do extras I don't do extras it was like oh, yeah totally yeah. even in the you know yeah so I um, I loved that I mean, like your character or your, your being, <laughs> yeah, you, totally. you, um, you addressed that in a way that, that I noticed at least. Um, and it really, yeah. it made the film for me in a lot of ways. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I have, I have had a lot of people reach out and, and say, and this is so crazy to me. I thought I was the only one. And I think that's a good moment to stop because you're never the only one. Mm-hmm. If you think you're the only one, Yes. so many people reach out and say, I grew up in a repressed religion as well. And then I found pole dancing or then I got into sex work and Mm -hmm. I learned so much. And I think a lot of that piece about how sex work was actually really empowering for me was kind of left on the editing floor. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I did, you know, I lost my virginity and porn to a man named Ed Powers. And it was a, a really gentle and kind and mm. wonderful experience. When I talk to other people about their experiences losing their sexuality, it often saw, or not losing their sexual, their virginity. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let's hope no one um, loses that. Yeah. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, a lot of them are like, God, it was terrible. There was fumbling. Neither of us knew what we were doing. And mm-hmm. I, it was, you know, either painful or didn't have consent or, you yeah. know, all these things. And I was working with a professional who'd been having sex for on camera for dozens of years. And he was very kind and very nice. And he had a small penis, which I really appreciated. And, um, and my experience, well, uh, you know, I, I rewatched it recently to write my book uh, is kind of cringe to watch because, you know, everything is written on my face. Um, <laughs> and, but uh he was so nice to me and I had such a great experience losing my virginity and I got paid for it, which was awesome. Even better. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I think as a young, you know, non-college educated woman, there are very few ways of making like big cash. Mm -hmm. And even as a college educated woman, there are very few ways of making a lot of cash. That's like right here, right now. And I think sex work was a very rational decision to make as a 20 year old struggling actress in Los Angeles, trying to get onto her feet and pull, you know, pull her up by the proverbial bootstraps, which now don't exist. Right. Um, but that made a lot of sense to me because I literally just needed cash to go after my dreams. And yes. so, you know, I met so many struggling actresses, struggling actresses who just had access to a credit card that they could, you know, put all their you know blowouts and manicures and acting classes on and I didn't have that so I needed to get that you know yeah um 
and then ultimately decided to pivot from trying to be an actress to going into political economics. But that was also a fun journey. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Politics can be a little exciting or political economics. Um, I'm going to pivot us back uh, a little bit okay. to talking about the healing aspect of pole because mm-hmm. I cried like at least three times watching Strip Down Rise Up. And I mean, Evelyn, are you kidding? Oh my God. Evelyn's storyline. Ah! For all the listeners out there, you have to go watch it, prepare, bring your Kleenex. It's really great. Um, and as someone who like, I, I had an eating disorder um, before I started stripping and I found a lot of uh, release and like connectivity in pole dancing. I would love to mm-hmm. hear your story about like how pole has has been a healing element for you and how you've seen that in yourself and in people that you teach. Yeah, um, I talk about this in the documentary quite a bit, but um, so in 2003, I was 20, I moved to LA, I got into po- to porn, I got into call girling, it was a wild ride and it was super fun until it wasn't. And, um, and so I basically like, and then growing up, I had been Mormon. So I was Mormon my whole life and, and being Mormon, I was taught that my sexuality, uh, didn't exist. So if I just told myself that I was not a sexual being, I wouldn't be a sexual being. And I tried that tact for a really long time until I was 18. And, and then it became clear to me that I think very rationally so that my, sex was my power to make money. And so sex equals, I can make an income and support myself. And I always learned from my mom growing up, like if you support yourself, don't ever let a man take care of you. That is how you get beat. (laughs) And she had her own trauma from growing up. And, and I think a lot of women in that generation are like terrified of relying on men because they had seen their parents relationship and said, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I went into, okay, I'm going to make money and I'm going to support myself. And that came first, even if it meant getting into sex work as a Mormon, like going from Mormonism, kind of living a double life as a good Mormon girl on Sundays with Mormon boyfriend. I thought we were going to get married in the Mormon church to, Mm. uh, you know, on weekdays shooting porn scenes, you know, kind of dichotomous life. And, um, and so during that time period where I was kind of transitioning between you are not sexual at all to your value in terms of financially relies on your sexuality. Um, I learned how to create a sexual persona through my name, Wendy James, by, and I learned that power from men. Like it's mostly men on these porn sets. It's mostly men in these hotel rooms doing sexy massage and, um, and so I kind of would try trial and error, you know, like, okay, if I, you know, I, I have this friend, Leslie, who is um, this like seasoned call girl. And she was so fabulous to me, like an LA 10, you know, yes. is how she was described on her profile, huge boobs, super tan, like red hair, just like a freaking goddess. <laughs> and she was, she was like, I used to strip in Alaska and the secret is to be sad because if you're sad, men want to take care of you and then they'll give you money. They'll like tip you more. Oh my God, and so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everything I know, I learned from Leslie who was in the Holiday Inn Express hotel room right next to me and a collection of men who would tell me how to make myself more profitably sexy. So amazing. I, this, yeah, this is how I learned sexuality. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a sad girl in the hotel rooms. And then I'm going to be like a whiny little girl on like the porn set. I'm like really want it. Oh my it God. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was all very clear cut. Like it was all like, okay, here's how you act here. And that makes you some cash. Here's how you do it. That makes you some mm-hmm. cash. Go. And then in Mormonism, the way to like snag a man, and you know, it was really quite similar, was to be very pure. So you like wear your turtleneck, you wear your pearls, mm-hmm. you like, you know, like you're very covered. And like, that's a way of attracting a certain kind of man as well. So in all these facets of my life, whether I'm porn sets or at church, I was really just playing a role and mm-hmm. um, kind of learning, okay, how do I one, get a husband uh, or in church or two, how do I make more money as a, a sex worker? And it was really fun. Um, 
But ultimately, I was learning my sexuality from a collection of men whose the lens for what sexuality was, was how do we make money off of this? Yes. And then when I got out of sex work, I just kind of, I, I wouldn't say I didn't have sex. I had a lot of sex, but it was, I didn't like, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about what is sexy. Yeah. I, I kind of was like, you know, just straight and narrow, Amy, go to community college, waitress, go to law school, da, 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 next step, next step, next step. And it wasn't until I took my first pole dance class that my instructor, her name is Stacy. She um, owns a studio called Boston Pole Fitness in Boston. Cool. She's an uh, absolutely incredible woman who's changed thousands of women's lives mm. and, and other people too, and not just women. So this isn't just a woman's sport. It's for everyone. Yes. And, um, and she taught us this move called Vagina Monster, where you kind of like wiggle your legs side to side and like uh, scoot your butt forward towards a mirror and and I just remember like vagina monstering towards like three other women in the class and we all just like ended up in this like little love puddle of like vagina monster legs like (laughs) laughing our asses off and it was so silly and raunchy and so like not how you would use sexuality to make money yes (laughs) like (laughs) I was like oh this is like a different form of sexuality and Mm -hmm. you know I don't think we use the word sexuality to market poll very much partially because you're not going to get your ads on social media or on google if you say learn sexual movement you say sexual and then it's like for the masses yes um but yeah I learned this whole new way of like existing in my body as a sensual slash sexual person. And I thought I knew everything about sex because I'd had so much of it. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, oh, this is totally new. I've never seen this side of sex slash sexuality before. I want to know everything. And by my 2L year of law school, I had like my pole dance classes schedule up all the classes I wanted to take. And I was scheduling my law school classes around when I would go to pole dancing because the studio is right next to my law school and uh and then I ended up like majoring in corporate law because those were the classes that fit with my pole dance schedule. oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing priorities we ha- we gotta have priorities. exactly <laughs> um so so yeah, I was like, and then I, I started thinking about it years later, like, oh, pole is really an industry created by women. Like there's not very many industries that are created by women for a mostly female clientele. Mm-hmm. And pole is one of them. And it comes from women who are practiced in the art of, of building their own version of sexuality and sensuality. And I think that's just fascinating. And so pole kind of flipped a switch on how, sexuality could be for me mm-hmm. instead of how I could present sexuality for other people. Oh, it's so, so good. Um, yeah. and it, that resonates so hard. Cause it, it really is like you, it asks you, poll asks you any sort of body work really asks you to get in touch with your body, which I think our society, our culture as a whole really tells us not to do that. Like, no, 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 you don't have to go in there. You don't have to tap into that. Yeah. Just like <clears throat> the cog in the machine, make them yeah. right. And then once we realize that there's a whole unexplored world in there and there are definitely like feeling landmines like you go in there and you're mm. like, oh shit I hit this thing and now it's like running through and I gotta process it um, I mean tell me about your experience with Paul I'm so curious when have you taken Paul like if so like what was that experience like for you taking class I so my yes. poll experience is yeah. uh I was 19 years old and uh, auditioned to work at a strip club so I was mm-hmm. not of legal age to even be a uh person in the club but I was auditioning to work there which you could do you could work there at 18. So I I got the job but I had never danced on a pole before um the the some I was a freshman in college and this senior woman was like you need to teach me how to dance actually just just come with me to auditions um oh I love these mentors uh, they're so so, they just like they they appear when they need to and like I don't talk to her anymore but she has a very special place in my heart 
yeah. And I go and they I'm first up on on the stage. They were like, you go first. Um, so I went up oh, God, not knowing anything about anything and just like played and and you know danced I, I've always loved dancing and um they liked what they saw so I got to come back and then after that it was like I latched on to a couple pole dancers who were really talented and I was like please teach me like yeah. getting the down times like please teach me what you know I'll throw you some cash um mm-hmm. and one of the bar owners wives used to be a stripper and so she taught me some like floor work and things like that and it was just so cool to focus on my body because I also um, at that point had been raped in the past and like mm-hmm. to be sexy. Granted, there were men all around, but half the time I didn't even pay attention to the fact that they were there. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fuck it. If you're not giving me money, I'm not going to pay attention to you. Um, yes. <laughs> and just like writhing around on the floor or like focusing on how how I'm gonna land this move on the pole was just it was exhilarating and and it was yeah and it was me and um and I felt hot and that that was the thing that I was just like there is something here for me and it scared me because I had learned from being assaulted that like sexuality women's sexuality my sexuality was dangerous and that someone could weaponize it and so absolutely doing like doing pole and owning my sexuality I'm still working through some of that like as a sex worker and as just a person in in this society I'm like still working through some of that but totally accessing it through my body with like somatics is like the the practice that I've been learning more and more about Um, oh I have a client who who does somatic like a somatic coach yeah Mm -hmm. it's yeah she Oh yeah. I mean, the body keeps the score, right? A hundred percent. I saw this really funny tweet. <laughs> I mean, I don't agree with it, but it's funny. It said, what if the body didn't keep the score? <laughs> <laughs> or it was like, if I was the body, I wouldn't keep the score. <laughs> Just stop counting. Just <laughs> yeah, stop. It's, it's too much. <laughs> does it, does it fill up? Is there like a scorecard thing where it's just done? <laughs> Like, oh, that is such an amazing experience. And I wanted to say that's another critique that I've heard about the movie, which is, um, you know, we talk a lot about how pole dance recreational, it's not for the male gaze. And a lot of people that are super like, I love the male gaze. I fucking make money off the male uh-huh. gaze. Like, actually, the male gaze is really empowering for me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because I felt that way when I worked in porn as well, like I, I would have, you know, everyone has those days where it is like, I look like shit. I feel like shit. I'm mm-hmm. a piece of shit. And then, you know, you go on a porn set, like 20 people are like, you're the hottest piece of ass. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, tell me that again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then they would, and then they give you a check. You're like, oh, that's awesome. Totally. <laughs> I think it's, I do think it's like, we have to be aware of the male gaze because it can be damaging. It can get toxic. Absolutely. But we can also like use it to our advantage. Um, And I think that's a really interesting point because uh, there is a really fine line between, uh, yes, I'm owning my power. I'm owning my power. And, you know, I had a call girl experience that went awry Mm -hmm. and I was using my power, using my power. And then I stepped into somebody's house and and had a really uh, traumatizing rape experience and it's I think the scary part is how quickly that can flip on us and I think that's why it's so great that there are these safe spaces where you can go to tap into your body and you're there's no one watching it's not for you it's for me and all the other people in the classes they're doing it for them so I'm not worried about like how it could flip you know, yeah. and I think we hear a lot of stories about how we hear either one of two stories. And the most common narrative is poor little Midwestern girl moves to the big city, gets into sex work, and then she has to like redeem herself. She must yeah. like be good again, you know, and I, I won't lie, probably part of becoming a lawyer was to be like, see, I could, I could do the brain shit, you yeah. know, 
And I actually prefer the body shit. I was built to be a manual laborer and that's probably why I love pole dancing. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but like, yeah, see, check, did the brain shit. Are you happy? And, um, and it's just like, those two are so intertwined. Like, how do we, how do, why do we pretend that they have nothing to do with each other? Agreed. Yeah. It's it, they're so inherently linked. Um, so how, does it feel to witness your community grow in this way? Like these people who are tapping into their their inner like feminine sexual energy. Um, yeah. How, how does it feel to like witness this grow and see your kind of chosen family expand in that way? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> I spent, I was just telling some of this, I spent all of 2016 when I started my first business walking around in this state of like perpetual disbelief it was almost like a meta feeling like when you do psychedelics you kind of like observe yourself living your life yes it was like that where I was like watching myself build a community teach Paul like I was exhausted in like a physical way every day which for me is much preferable to being exhausted in a sit at a desk kind of way yes and and just like astoundedly watching like who, who makes money on a dance studio? Like every pole dance person I talked to is like, you're not going to make money, but you're going to love what you do. Yeah. Uh, and that just ended up not being true for me. We were, my first studio was profitable from month one. And I think that just has oh. to do with the fact that we were in a big city mm-hmm. where there wasn't already a, a pole studio. And, um, and I was just like, I get to do what I love. And I have my mornings free so I can write and I can, I get, I get to build something that's different from what exists in the world. Like this is freaking awesome. (laughs) And yeah, it was so great. And then it got to a point where I was like, okay, I want to do this again. And then I was kind of, I felt like I kind of like had left my first community, my San Francisco community to go have the second child (laughs) across the Bay Bridge over in Oakland. And then it became this really interesting kind of transition from, I am the center of this studio and this community. And I'm the person you come to if like your billing didn't work or, you know, like all the boring kind of administrative things that go on behind the scenes with running a business Mm -hmm. to, okay, this isn't about me. And I think the part where it became not about me building everything and where I got, I had a team who I could pay a good salary. And that part was important to me. I never hired anyone until I could pay them well. And so, you know, I know a lot of people do internship programs. I don't think that's the way to do it, but I I could get into that another time. Uh, We'll we'll go down the marks hole later. But um, (laughs) but um yeah and then it was like okay well how do I cultivate my my instructor team so that they're the heart of my studios mm-hmm. and and they're cultivating my students in after that and that's when it got to be like we're really cooking with fire baby you know because yes. then I could kind of uh in the Bay area, it's like a multiple, like a growth multiple. Then it wasn't just me and how many hours I could put in each day. It was how many people can I go train to do this work? And that's now where I'm kind of at. And and it is so fun. And this community grows faster that way too, which is awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love that. Um, So you're also a competitive pole dancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think about right before you get on stage to compete um I mean it's kind of like when you're having an orgasm and you just like I don't know about you but my brain just turns to white noise like I've done the work I know I know the moves you know like I know what I'm about to do because I put it in my body so many times and it's just like yeah it's just white noise and there's only been one or two times and I think that that like the real, real pros, like Janine Butterfly, who does the same routine every night at Cirque du Soleil mm-hmm. and another really amazing, you know, circus artist, probably have more of like a observational feeling of like, okay, as so in my body, then I'm going to like watch myself and observe the audience. I don't have that. It's more just like, 
and yeah. I think about nothing and it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Love it. So that's for me. I don't know how other people feel. So that's my experience. That's fantastic. I love that. That's not what I expected to hear it. For. <laughs> love yeah, it. no, I don't, I don't go to a Zen place. Like that's not my thing. <laughs> so good. I mean, it sounds really blissful in a lot of ways. Maybe manic yeah. blissful. Like this is... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm here <laughs> for it. <laughs> um, okay, so after the Netflix documentary, what's what's next for you? I know you recently opened another pole studio. What else do you have uh, lined up for us in the future? <clears throat> yeah, so I wrote a book um, called Becoming California. Um, I wrote it the first time in 2016, it was terrible, but it was on the page. Yes. Great. That's like, if you're writing a book for the first time, that's step one. Yes. And the great part is that you think you're done at that point, but you're not, <laughs> you're not done. <laughs> and then I wrote it again in 2017. It's still terrible. Wrote it again in 2018. Yes. Um, I started working with this woman who, she must be so sick of me talking about her, but her <laughs> name is Lydia Yuknovich, and she is uh, just a queen among men. I mean, this woman wrote a memoir called Chronology of Water, um, I think like 2011, and it's this like, people call it an anti-memoir because it's, it doesn't actually have a lot of chronology. There's a lot of like back and forth, and mm -hmm. um it's about her experience growing up in um, in Berkeley and text and there's some Texas moments and there's like a flash where she's a stripper and then there's a lot of sexual assault and there's how swimming kind of like changed her life. Anyway, wow. I read that book at, in 2015 and was changed. Like I was changed to like a genetic level by that book. And wow. I was like, I need to find this woman. Where is she? What is she doing? She, it turns out she was running a writing thing like a like a retreat like two weeks later so I signed up for this writing retreat and I went and like uh, studied with her and then and she's in Portland Oregon and then she opened a center called Corporeal Center and her whole thing is like writing your experience about your life through the lens of your unique body which as a former sex worker as a dancer as a competitive swimmer as a competitive pole dance like all of these things like I I experience the world through my body and I know that's not true for a lot of people a lot of people think of themselves as like my friend calls it a floating brain yeah I do not that I am the exact opposite from that where like everything is like how it feels inside or, or on my skin or you know whatever yeah and um so that kind of way of thinking about writing and like the connection between your body and your brain was so just revolutionary for me. And so last year, 2020, right before the pandemic, I um, did like a manuscript class that was 34 weeks. So we met me and seven other writers with full manuscripts met every Wednesday. And we would workshop 30 pages from two people each day, each Wednesday. And I rewrote my manuscript under kind of her tutelage. And that was a really big game changer. So anyway, all that, that's a long-winded way of saying, uh, now I'm pitching my manuscript to agents and, um, and I'm trying to get published. And it's not easy when you are somebody who's been a sex worker trying to write about sex work for a kind of you can't just write for San Francisco, you know, progressives, you have to kind of write if, if somebody that is a, uh, for the masses publisher is going to publish a book, it's going to be for the masses. So, mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of like fucking and banging before, and, and now it's a little bit more like a symbolic way of describing sex and in, in yeah. some of the sex scenes. Um, but I really did kind of grow up that year when I was 20 and the book is 2003 Los Angeles being a sex worker mm -hmm. and leaving the Mormon church it is very much like that experience was happening at a molecular bodily biological level mm -hmm. that it formed the way that I experienced the world so it just her way of crafting narrative through the body really spoke to me and was the right way for me to write this book and mm -hmm. hopefully get published like we'll see um but now I'm like really into ethical non-monogamy and my husband and I opened a monogamous marriage. We had been monogamous married for eight years. We opened like 
eight months ago. And now I want to write that book. So <laughs> I'm yes. kind of like on to the next thing, you know? <laughs> I've heard that about writing a book that it's like, it's addictive kind of in that way where like mm. you write your first one and then you're like, all right, what's the next one? Oh yeah. I'm really I mean... excited to read that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I did want to talk to you about um, polyamory and non non monogamy. And you asked one of my questions, which was, did what did your relationship start non monogamous or did you open it? So, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about how that conversation went and like how you decided? Yeah. Oh my gosh, totally. I love talking about this. Put a quarter in me. Just tell me to stop. <laughs> I, got, I got plenty of quarters. My change jars. So we're, we're here for a while. <laughs> okay. So um, like 2019, my husband was like going to Seattle a lot. because He works. He was working up there like five days a week. And he said this thing that really pissed me off, which is I'm going to Seattle so much. Can you just come with me? And like, I don't know, like stay at the Westin. Like, I don't know what his plan was. Can you just come with me? I'm, I'm getting lonely when I'm up there. And I'm like, what kind of like hotel room wife do you think I am? Like, I'm just going to follow my husband around, you know? And I was so just offended. But I was also like, well, that sucks that you're lonely. So I was like, let's get you a girlfriend. So we made him a dating profile. And um and it was really fun, you know, and now I get to like watch this kind of like, this sounds so fucked up, but I like, you know, my husband's like my goods. I get to go see my goods being like shopped out in the wild. It was really fun. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, like creating a dating profile for your husband is like marketing. Like I'm like marketing my husband for other women. And, and that was super fun. And so we called him web services daddy. And, um, Oh my yeah. God, I love that so much. <laughs> but my husband is like, so not a daddy. Like I'm definitely the daddy in our relationship and he's more like my little princess. And he's yeah. always like 250 pounds, like six two. And um, so he starts to go on dates with women and we hadn't done the thing that all the books that we've since read, like tell you to do, which is like establish boundaries and like set rules and expectations. So he goes out with this woman and has sex with her on the first date and then doesn't call me the next day. I'll call him and I'm like, what the hell, Pete? Like, you have sex with her? You didn't call me first. Now I kind of think my way of thinking about that was kind of myopic because like, what are you going to do? Like, you're in the heat of the moment and you're just going to call your, hold on, let me call my wife to make sure <laughs> she's got to cool. inform yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, ha- we had kind of this like quick non-starter thing where I was like shut it down like this is crazy Mm -hmm. and then during COVID like towards the end of COVID we were like okay let's try again and it was mainly me I was like I don't know if I was horny or what but (laughs) anyway I was I was it wasn't that and actually I want to be clear that it was not just horniness even though I am very sexual person um it was really just like a desire to explore. And once I started to this kernel of an idea that like, it doesn't have to be monogamy. Like, I think we defaulted to monogamy because that's just like what you do. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like you get married. So you like have a a wedding party, but like, I don't think people, I don't, I never really thought about it. Like I was just like, but once the kernel of, oh, you don't have to be monogamous. In fact, you can still be happily married and date other people kind of grew in my mind I was like huh that sounds interesting <laughs> and I listened to this podcast where this guy said this line I don't even know who it was he said dating is wasted on the young you learn so much about yourself and I was like oh, oh that's so good oh yeah and I was like I want to learn about myself <laughs> you know? and so I talked to my husband. I was a little nervous. I was like, Hey, like, I know we did that. We like shut it down, but I kind of want to try again. And I think I want to try dating somebody like, I don't know who, but like a person mm-hmm. I want to go on a date. And so we, um, we like made a weekend out of it, like made each other profiles, like dating profiles. And then I didn't like my, it sounded too much like a resume. Like here's my stats. You know, mm-hmm. you still see that on especially on men's dating profiles, like check six, three, check two twenty, check like that's two times 
you know yes. it's just like <laughs> it just becomes a list of things and you're like but who are yeah <laughs> and I was kind of I was kind of like doing the list there I was like eh. so then I asked my Instagram and then Instagram helped me make a dating profile it was really fun oh fun. It's like crowdsourced dating profile and what a good idea uh, yeah, it was so fun. I like put it a picture and I was like, how would you fix this? And then like people fixed it for me. And nice. so then I started dating and it was so fun. And it's amazing how, and it, it, and the other part was that it was really easy because I had read a lot of Esther Perel mm-hmm. and she writes about meeting in captivity. Her book, Meeting in Captivity is a great jumping off point. But then her second book, State of Affairs talks a lot about like setting boundaries and how it works when you do ethical non-monogamy if you do it right. And then there's another book called Polysecure that's about polyamorous relationships and how to like establish what feels good. And what's, yeah, it's all about attachment theory. And, um, and so we kind of had our rules set and then it like immediately broke all of our rules. Like we made all these rules and then each time we were like, well, does it really not make sense that we don't meet each other's people? Like your people sound awesome. I want to meet them. And so then we like agree together to break them. And now we really don't have many rules except for wear a condom. And um, right. And that one's kind of non-negotiable. They have a lot of men at this point, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, so um, it just ended up being really easy and really fun. And my business, it was like the right moment because my businesses were closed from COVID. So I wasn't like um, having to run my businesses 24 yeah. seven. And I met, and I met to be clear, I met most people socially distanced with masks. Like I went on so many hiking dates. I must've hiked <laughs> every piece of the Berkeley Hills because I want to go hiking. That's all we can really do during COVID. Yeah. And I met so many interesting, fascinating people. And at that point, I think I had kind of given up on men. I think I was like, oh, men are just the worst. Glad I got a good one, but like, not for not for me. Mm-hmm. And I and I didn't spend a lot of time with them because my studios are mostly women. Mm-hmm. And then I realized how many good men there are in the world. Like I was meeting all these men and they were like emotionally aware and like thoughtful and like consent driven. And it just felt like this whole kind of new world and I hadn't dated in over a decade so maybe like men grew up in that time period but mm-hmm. um like it, it was just I met so many amazing people and you know now I have some who are boyfriends and and some who are you know we hang out friends with benefits but it's not like we just fuck it's you know I'm really sapiosexual which is like attracted to people's brains and yes and I've I've met and rolled around kind of in so many people's brains and it's been so fun. And I think that romantic piece, like the sexual part added on to, you know, like you roll around in the brain and then you roll around with the body like that, just like those, those are like the best friendships. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's been going well, it's been going great actually. And, um, yeah, despite the like false start, and then we then we brought the literature and kind of like set the rules and then kind of grew what this is together. And now we're both like, maybe someday we're going to get a house and we have like multiple people who like live in our house. Wow. And like, you know, yeah. That's so it's, it's definitely gone from, and I feel, and this is, the, I think, one of the most important things for me. I also feel like a truer version of myself. Like I am a slutty person. Like that is just literally like biologically how I'm wired to be. Mm-hmm. And I think with one partner, I didn't really get to like tap into that much. Like, you know, and I have a higher sex drive than my husband. So I'd be like, ah. <laughs> you know, <Yes. laughs> and he'd be like, oh, I'm tired, you know? And mm-hmm. you know, now I'm just like, okay, I'm going to go hang out with Craig. See you later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I feel like a truer version of myself. Like I feel like this is my sexual orientation is to have multiple partners. And that feels uh, kind of, you know, like a game changer yeah. as well. Yeah. And being able, being able to live it. And I love, like, it's, I find that those conversations can be really hard and being able to live it with a partner who's like open to it and supportive and like, uh, also into it is really yeah. like that's relationship goals. That's really exciting. 
Yeah, I mean, one of my my Hawaii boyfriend came out uh, to uh, our house in Portland and me and my husband and him and my mom and my brother all like hung out and it was super cool. Love it. You know? <laughs> I am going to pause our, our polyamory conversation here. Yeah. And we're going to continue it on a the first patron only content interview thing that we're doing. Oh, I love <laughs> um, that. Yeah, I'm like, we're going to mix things up a little bit and do some Patreon, Patreon content. Yeah, musical chairs, fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, fuck it up a little bit. But we do, we are going to do, I, I do rapid fire questions at the end of every episode just to kind of like get to know you in a, like a fast, but maybe more like weird interpersonal sort of way. Um, it's, I stole it from Brene Brown and I love Brene Brown. So I love Brene Brown. Yeah, her, her podcast, Unlocking Us is just like, so good so good okay are you ready for the rapid fire questions <laughs> <laughs> all right pancakes or waffles waffles all the way belgian waffles burnt yeah buttery edges oh my god i love it the details uh salt <laughs> or sweet definitely sweet i would eat chunk food for every meal <laughs> <I'm good. laughs> so good Cats or dogs? Cats. Yeah. I want you to like smush me and like lay on me. <laughs> Your favorite place you've ever been? Amalfi Coast is hands down my favorite place. Uh, I was 18 when I went there and teaching English in Italy and broke, like totally broke. I was teaching English like 12 hours a day at these children's summer camps and I made like 200 bucks a week and I was living my best life oh, and amazing. swimming in the Amalfi coast staying in like a, a bungalow on the beach was amazing that sounds magical <laughs> <laughs> um, a book from your mandatory reading list then we talked about chronology of water mm -hmm. uh Polly Sakira recently read is amazing one I'm reading right now that I freaking love is Brianna Weiss I think is how you say your last name, W-I-E-S-T, wrote a book called 101 Essays to Change the Way You Think. And it taps into a lot of um, Zen Buddhist kind of ways of thinking. Uh, kind of my big takeaway is like, everything you believe is a result of the reality you've created inside. Mm -hmm. And you are in control of what you create inside of you. And that makes me feel great and free. Yeah. Yeah. At least we have control of something, right? What's yeah. of ourselves. <laughs> um, complete this sentence for me. Good sex is consensual. <laughs> yes. I think that's the third episode in a row that I've gotten that answer, and it makes me so happy every time. <laughs> it's also like it should just be like it that should be just like default. Yeah. But it often and it should be fuck yeah consent like enthusiastically consensual mm -hmm. <laughs> I completely agree okay what is one of your secret talents oh my god that's my secret talent <laughs> <laughs> okay so here's one I'm not talented at it yet but I'm going to be yes I, I've been practicing once a week I take an accent class with this um, accent coach named Paul Meyer, and oh, I've been fun. learning accents from around the world. So I've been working on my, um, I've been working, well, do you want to hear one? Yes, I do. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I lost my voice a little bit, but this is from uh, Lisa Mona, uh, her monologue in My Cousin Vinny. So it's New York accent. Oh, fuck yes. <clears throat> a dear, a sweet, innocent, doe-eyed, leafy, harmless little dear. Imagine, imagine you're a dear. You're prancing along. You get thirsty. You spot a little brook. You put your little dear lips down to the cold, clear water. Bam! A fucking bullet rips off part of your head. Your brains are splattered on the ground in little bloody pieces. Now I ask you. Would you give a fuck what kind of pants the son of a bitch who shot you was wearing? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Also that movie. 
that character uh, gives me such so life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Um, as someone who's often slips into accents all the time, that was. Oh my God. Do, do one, do one. Oh Everyone God. wants to hear it. I was reading with a friend and I was like, I, I like to do British. So it was like, I don't even know. I feel like I need something to read. I'll read the back of my water bottle. Yes. <laughs> We're here to put a flag in the ground and tell oh the world God. that a better you starts with better water. Something like yeah. that. Oh my God. You're like, you're like fancy British. You're rich Brit. <laughs> when I'm only when I'm talking about water. <laughs> Very serious. Bravo. That's so good. <laughs> um, okay. A song, an artist, or an album that you're currently obsessed with? um i saw the cheerleading documentary it's called cheer on netflix and um there's this song by farah do that it's c-a-r-a space d-u and that's the name of the artist i forgot the name of the song but i listened to that song on retreat and it's just like really like effervescent like i think there's like birds chirping at the beginning of that it's amazing oh that's so awesome yeah <laughs> um oh if you had a superpower what would it be uh hmm. I mean I think of science as a superpower and so maybe it would be something like convincing the half of the world that doesn't believe in science to believe in it <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that, would be it. that is a very good one <laughs> We need that superpower to be a real thing. Right now. <laughs> yeah, right now. And then our final rapid fire question. What is something simple that brings you joy? Um, I think just quiet. Sitting in the morning by myself, reading the newspaper is like one of my happiest parts of the day. Like with a coffee, just sitting, reading. Yes. <laughs> that like first cup of coffee in the morning is one of my favorites yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. just like and now I get to read <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much we're gonna say goodbye to our listeners and then pop on over to a conversation for our patreon members um, awesome it's been such a pleasure yeah thank you for joining me is there anything you want to share with the greater public before we go to a, a patreon only interview before we go um just your daily psa that sex work is work and consensual sex work decreases child trafficking hey hey oh what a concept (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you so much and goodbye all you listeners out there come join us on patreon Bye. bye and there you have it that was the interview with amy bond what a fucking amazing human being uh it was so cool to have her on the show and talk about all the many things that she's got going on and also just be people together. It was really great. All of Amy Bond's links are going to be in the show notes along with some extras that I thought might interest you. And if they don't, just ignore them. Um, I, I hope you liked the cliffhanger that I left on our polyamory conversation. If you want to hear more about how to navigate creating a profile to find other like-minded people, And if you want to hear more about Amy's journey with anal training, learning that she was actually into anal, and then hear me talk about pegging, uh, join us over on Patreon. It's a really good time. It's a fun, a little more loose conversation. And it's my first Patreon-only interview. So I'm hoping to do a whole bunch more of those. I'm glad that Amy was willing to do this one. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I love that I get to create this and that it doesn't just go into the abyss, though there's nothing wrong with the abyss. Um, It just, it hits different, you know? (laughs) Okay, I'm really just avoiding coming up with a thing. Um, Oh, I've been watching so much Star Trek, you'd think it would be easier for me to come up with, yes, I'm, I'm a Star Trek person, it's a thing. I've been coping with Star Trek. Anytime I find myself feel, not wanting to feel uncomfortable emotions, I turn to Star Trek. Um, and it causes me to feel other uncomfortable emotions. 
If you're on another planet and your language translator uh, runs out of battery or fails for whatever reason, the universal noise to indicate that you no longer understand what's happening is to put your lips together and just lackadaisically blow through them, like so. But don't do it too high-pitched. It might be mistaken as a mating call in some cultures. Nanu nanu, motherfuckers. Yeah, I'm out of here.